Our scripture this evening comes from the third epistle of John. Third John, we'll read the entire epistle. Third John, hear now God's word. The elder uh, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it is, goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to ascend them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought, to be, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church about Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, <clears throat> I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's pray. Lord, your word comes to us as a gift from you, and we thank you for it. And we pray, Father in heaven, that we will not only acknowledge the gift and give you thanks for it, but that we will also avail ourselves to it. And even tonight, we pray that this gift might have its way in our hearts and our lives, so that the thanks that we give to you for this gift will be filled not only with gratitude, but also with behaviors that reflect that gratitude. And so we give you our thanks and offer to you our prayer in Jesus' name. And we say together, Amen. Uh, Waldiger and Schultz, uh, in a recent book of A Good Life, a report on a long-term study, a study that's been going on for 84 years, and basically that studies about what makes people happy. And their conclusion is that relationships uh, with people are central to happiness in those that they have studied. And they summarize their research with one simple principle. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. Uh, Christians shouldn't be surprised uh, by the conclusions that the Waldinger and Schultz draw in their work. Uh, and that's true of especially of those of us who have been studying uh, John's epistles. Uh, you'll recall how frequently he has called upon the recipients of his letters to, uh, to love one another. <clears throat> and in this third example, uh, John sets out some 
Uh, in his third epistle, John sets out some examples of, uh, of those who have uh, had connections, and some good and some difficult uh, uh, connections. Uh, and uh, uh, two of them uh, obviously brought John pleasure, and one of them really put John in a difficult uh, predicament. And I judge that we can learn something from John's directions. Uh, I also judge that we can learn something from the way in which John describes uh, the individuals here uh, at the risk of uh, being accused of moralism. Uh, tonight, we're going to try to look at these people and see the way in which they follow, uh, how we can follow the examples. I'm willing to risk moralism because of what John happens to say in this epistle, namely, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. I think I'm on reasonably solid grounds. And so let's look at this uh, epistle and let's look at the four people uh, that we find in this epistle. First, the one who received it, Gaius, uh, the one who caused John a predicament, uh, namely Diotrephes, a uh, one who is, uh, gets to receive the testimony of being good as Demetrius, and perhaps most importantly, John himself, because he is integrated into all the parts of what we read in this epistle. So let's look first of all at Gaius. John writes to this man, Gaius, who I judge is a member of the church. Uh, we, we don't know what church he's a member of, and I assume it was someplace in the vicinity of Ephesus, where John was uh, probably the pastor. I think it was near because uh, John tells us that he intends to visit them uh, sometime, and he intends to visit them soon. Uh, uh, and uh, I don't believe it was necessarily the same congregation that he wrote uh, Second John to, and maybe not even the same congregation uh, to which he addressed uh, his first epistle. We can't be sure of that, but as we look at the content of Second John and of Third John, we see that they're drastically different. Uh, Second John is really arguing about a big theological problem and a theological problem brought on by uh, itinerant preachers. Um, and uh, uh, John, in this uh, epistle, uh, treats much more personal kinds of matters as he deals with them. And in that second epistle, he uh, uh, probably uh, is, it is important that we recognize that John identifies himself as the elder uh, because of his authority that he has there. And we see that he, he also identifies himself in this epistle also as the elder. And I would judge that it is important here because he talks about the authority and that he is going to exercise over those. And he exercises within the, within the church. And so we'll see a little bit about that as we go along. Uh, if you're like I am, you may be surprised when John talks about the way in which he prays for Gaius, this man uh, that he calls his beloved, someone that he's very fond of, has affection for. And you may be surprised that he prays because the standard by which he prays is, he says, I pray that your health, he's referring to his physical health, may be as good as your spiritual health. When I read that passage, I want to say to John, you got it backwards. I wish that my spiritual health was as good as my physical health, even as I'm an old man. And I suspect that many of us are here, but that tells us something about Gaius. It gives us a good idea about what kind of fellow he is. Don't you wish everybody would say, I pray for your good health, that it might be just like your spiritual health? Or maybe you fear that somebody might pray that. 
you see. So John starts off by, by giving us this, this, this uh, uh, example of, of what it is uh, to pray. And uh, um, we don't know uh, much more about uh, uh, Gaius other than, and we don't know anything else about this Gaius other than what uh, John tells us about him in this uh, text that we have in front of us. Um, the one thing that John makes very clear here, two things that are very clear, but one of them, the first one is that Gaius is someone who is uh, walking in the truth. Uh, he, he tells him that he finds, John tells him that he says, this gives me joy. Uh, this makes me feel good. It makes me understand something about the goodness of God and the way in which the goodness of God is at work in this man Gaius. I think it's fair for us to assume that uh, um, John had some idea of this from his own interaction with Gaius. But this was reinforced, this idea that uh, Gaius is walking in the truth because of the itinerant preachers, uh, the uh, traveling missionaries who were around. And as they were around, they had, John had encounters with them. And these people had said, Gaius is a good guy. I mean, that, that was his, his reputation. That's what we've heard about him. And so they've told John this. And John elaborates on the joy uh, that Gaius' uh, spiritual life brings uh, to him a little bit in verse 4 because John refers to him as his, uh, as his uh, child. And uh, uh, he says, I get particular joy when my children are walking in the Lord. My take on the use of this word children here, John has used it in his other epistles, but my take here is that he has a particular connection with Gaius, and that, protect, that connection, I judge, has something to do with the way in which Gaius came to the Christian faith. And so that, that when he talks about Gaius, he says, when I have talked to somebody about the Christian faith, that person has embraced the Christian faith, and then when this person continues to walk in the faith, I feel good. And for those of you who have dealt with Christian people and you see them walking in the faith, you see them walking in the truth, you see them grasping the truth about who Jesus Christ is and grasping that truth, they have a determination to walk, to live according to that truth. You understand what John is talking about here. It gives him a, a particular kind of joy, of happiness, if you will, to see this convert of his um, walking in the faith. And walking in the truth. The other thing that, that John is particularly joyous about and happy about with regard to Gaius is the way in which he supports uh, the brothers, as they're called here, who go about uh, preaching uh, in various places. I judge that these uh, brothers are itinerant missionaries uh, who took the gospel uh, to various areas, uh, probably fairly close uh, to Ephesus. And uh, John has already talked about these. We've met these brothers both in 1 John and also in 2 John. You may remember in 2 John there is a comparison. There were the good guys who went out and preached the gospel. That's the ones he's talking about here. But there were also some other kinds who went out and preached. And they were the ones who were denying the uh, incarnate Christ. Uh, they didn't believe that Jesus was really uh, uh, the son of God. Uh, th that was what they were against. And uh, John is now complimenting Gaius because he is supporting these real uh, missionaries uh, not being hoodwinked by the ones John called the deceivers and the antichrist back in 2 John. Um, you'll also remember back from 2 John that, that John warned them not to 
be hospitable to, the, to these itinerant people who were going around denying who were deceivers and with Antichrist. And in this situation with Gaius, he's complimenting him because of his hospitality. So things have been uh, switched around. Uh, John is uh, talking about these uh, preachers who have gone around and told the truth about the incarnate Christ, uh, that Jesus uh, was born the Son of God, he lived, he died upon the cross to take away the sins of his people, and as the Son of God, he rose again from the dead. That's the message that John had taught, and that's the message that these itinerant missionaries were uh, carrying about. Uh, John offers a compliment and encouragement to Gaius for welcoming the missionaries into his home. And in verse 5, uh, John tells uh, Gaius, this is a faithful thing. I take faithful to mean more than that he does this with uh, some kind of zeal and with uh, some kind of regularity. A faithful here, I think, reflects the way in which Gaius is walking in the truth, the way he is living in accordance with, with the truth. And so one of, the, one of the evidences, if you will, of the way in which Gaius is practicing the Christian faith is that he exercises hospitality with these itinerant missionaries. And we can put it in very simple terms. One of the evidences of Gaius' faithfulness is he supports missionaries. Very simple. That's something that I hope rings around in your head a little bit. We'll come back to that. But that's a very fundamental thing for which Gaius is complimented by the, uh, by the apostle in this situation. John tells us a bit about uh, uh, those Gaius supported and those who testified to the good work of Gaius. Uh, first of all, he tells us that, that they were strangers to him. And I think that's important for us. He talks about the way in which he showed love to them, but these were strangers. And it strikes me that the love that he showed to them wasn't because he had come to know them very well. It was a love that he had for them because he knew that they come doing what? Representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ as he really was. They come bringing to uh, other people, people who, who were Greeks who did not believe uh, the Christian faith. He brings that gospel, these people bring that gospel to them. They're strangers. Gaius is complimented because he loves these people and he welcomes them, if you will, into his home. That's what uh, John is talking about here. He tells us uh, that these, in verse 7, that these uh, missionaries uh, had gone out for the sake of the name. And the name here, uh, clearly refers to the Lord Jesus Christ and they were representing the truth about Jesus. John also adds this, this strange little thing. He says they don't take any support from, from the Gentiles. Now, I take it that Gentiles here is not referring to non-Jews but it's referring to those who are non-Christians. And the reason, it seems to me, why John points this out, that they don't accept uh, support from non-Christians, is because there was a practice in the world in which these people lived where itinerant teachers and preachers would go out, and that was the way in which they earned their living. Uh, they, would, they would bring money in uh, on the basis of that. And th John is not the only one who addresses this kind of matter. Paul addresses it also uh, back in 2 Corinthians. And if you remember uh, Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians about the super apostles, one of his arguments against them is that they're going around and they want to take money. And Paul is, is, is telling the, the people at Corinth, I'm not taking your money. I'm not like one of those uh, super apostles. As a matter of fact, 
fact, he says, uh, describes them in 2 Corinthians 2.17 as peddlers of God's word. And this was a fairly lucrative kind of business. There's a record of, of one itinerant Greek speaker who was going around a teaching uh, on the behalf of a Syrian goddess. And he says that every time he came back, he brought 70 bags of money. And so it's reasonably lucrative. But the thing that characterizes uh, the itinerant missionaries that, that uh, Gaius is welcoming into his home is they don't take any of that money. But if they don't take any of that money, then it becomes extraordinarily important for Christian brothers and sisters to be the ones who support them. Now, the support that Gaius offered probably involved more than hospitality. There are those that argue uh, that's exactly what John is talking about, and that Gaius probably did what uh, some believe is quite ordinary for Christians to do. Uh, when someone was leaving their house, they would give them enough food and enough money to get to their next stop, to the, get to the next place where someone would entertain them in their, in their homes. And uh, John talks about this. He says that, that, that Gaius is supporting them in a manner worthy of God. Uh, Paul happens to use this same language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he talks of people of being worthy of God. And uh, they're worthy of the God who calls, as Paul says, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And it strikes me that, that, that Gaius uh, uh, was to reflect God's way in dealing uh, with these missionaries. Uh, Gaius has been brought into the kingdom of God through the preaching, uh, I assume, of the uh, apostle John. And because he has been brought into the kingdom of God, what is he supposed to do? Well, he's supposed to, to function as someone who has received the blessing of God, and then in a worthy response to that blessing of God, he's to encourage by helping uh, these uh, itinerant preachers, these missionaries uh, that go, ar uh, go around. Uh, the point John is making is that to support the missionaries was the way in which Gaius himself could take part in, in this, in this uh, ministry. Uh, uh, we see this pointed out for us in verse, uh, verse 8. He says, uh, uh, therefore we ought to support people like these, referring to the brothers and uh, to the missionaries, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John is telling Gaius, you aren't going around to all of these different towns around Ephesus and preaching the gospel to these people, but when you support these missionaries, when you offer them hospitality, when you give them food, you give them some money and give them on the way, you are a fellow worker. You're engaged in some way in that same thing. A quite a big encouragement, it strikes me, that John offers to this man, uh, Gaius. Um, John also tells Gaius uh, one other thing in terms of the advice that he gives him, uh, and he tells him to follow the example of good uh, rather than the example of evil. He does this in uh, verse 11. And this follows uh, along with treating the missionaries in a manner that's, that's worthy of God and, and taking part, if you will, in this uh, missionary enterprise. It's not clear uh, if John uh, has himself in mind as he speaks or he's primarily has in mind Demetrius who pops up in the very next verse. We, we can't be sure who the good guys are. 
Doesn't take any stretch of the imagination for us, though, uh, to think about who the bad guy is, uh, because he's going to tell us uh, some things about Diotrephes, uh, who is the bad guy. So while John is encouraging Gaius in his practice of caring for the missionaries and walking in the truth, he does the opposite with Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is probably somebody with whom uh, Gaius is familiar. Uh, my take is that uh, Diotrephes was a member of the same church that Gaius was. And I draw this conclusion because, because John tells Gaius that he has written a letter to Diotrephes, and my assumption is that Diotrephes got a hold of that letter and destroyed it. So uh, uh, if he tells him that he wrote a letter to the church, he doesn't identify the church in any way, uh, the assumption is that Gaius knows that church, and that's the church that he and Diotrephes are both in. Uh, um, if they're both in the same church, you can just imagine now, as we look at the differences, the kind of conflict that was coming here. Gaius is complimented for encouraging the missionaries, exercising hospitality, giving them gifts. Diotrephes is on the exact opposite side, as we will see as we go, go through this. It's also hard to know what role Diotrephes had in the church. Was he uh, some official? Uh, did he have some uh, uh, office in the church? Or was he just one of those very strong-willed, uh, dominant kinds of people who, who got his own way, both of which we may have uh, seen in the church? Now, the one thing that John points out about Diotrephes is that he likes to put himself first. Uh, and whatever role that Diotrephes had in the church, it wasn't sufficient for him. He wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to be number one. He wanted to be number one in all kinds of things. And so John uh, tells uh, Gaius that this is a, a bad thing about Diotrephes uh, and uh, points that out to him. He also tells us that Diotrephes uh, rebelled against uh, proper authority, that he refused to submit to it. Uh, he refused, as John says, to acknowledge the authority that John exercised as, as an apostle. Um, I, I, I believe this is another reason why John introduced himself as the elder. And he was uh, introducing himself both as an official, having a, uh, an authoritative role there, but in the ancient world, he was also an old man. And in the ancient world, people respected age. I mean, I long for that, don't you, some of you? Uh, you know, he respected age, you see. So when, when he resisted uh, John, when Diotrephes resisted John, he was, he was just stepping all over a very strong cultural, uh, uh, very strong cultural rule. So for both those reasons, it strikes me that, that John introduces himself as the elder. And not only did he resist John's authority, but he's gossiping about him. That, that's what he's doing. Uh, he's, he's going around, uh, uh, as John says, uh, talking wicked nonsense uh, against him. Uh, he tells us that in verse 10. This, this idea of wicked nonsense uh, probably could mean he's making idle accusations and offering empty charges against uh, Diotrephes. That's the way the lexicons interpret this word. And whatever uh, Diotrephes was saying, uh, it was untrue and it was uh, meant to injure John and his reputation. Uh, he may have, Diotrephes may have been using whatever kind of nonsense he, he made to try to push himself to be number one. I mean, if you have an apostle around, an authority that people respect, uh, how do you get to be in front of him? 
Well, you have to gossip about them and tell nasty things. Now, some people in the church know how to do that. Some people in the church not only know how to do it, they do it. They use gossip in that way. And it strikes me that's what's going on here. Now, that, uh, um, but not only did Diotrephes go against John, but he was also against Gaius, as I've mentioned, because he refused to accept the missionaries. He wouldn't exercise hospitality for them, but, but I, it strikes me that not only did he not ent- uh, uh, welcome them into his home, uh, but he tried to keep them from coming to the church as well. And not only did Diotrephes try to himself keep from doing this, he didn't want anybody else to do it. I mean, if you're number one in the church, or you want to be number one in the church, then you want everybody to do what you're doing because that makes you look like you're right. And so Diotrephes not only didn't himself entertain them, but he tried to keep other people from doing it. And some way, and we can't be sure how it was, the atrophies actually put people out of the church. We don't know if that was something that he was some officer and he had some kind of authority to do that, or he was just a strong, domineering person, went after people, and after he went after people, they were out of the church. We don't know what method he did, but clearly John looks at this as something that is terrible uh, because... Um, he tells them that when he comes, he's going to address Diotrephes, and he's going to straighten the whole matter out. We'll see a little bit of that when we look at John. The next one we meet is Demetrius, and uh, Demetrius is understood uh, um, uh, as, as one who is thought of as good. In fact, he has received a good testimony from everyone. That's what he's talked about. Uh, I think Demetrius was probably also a member of the church. I agree with those commentators that tell us that that Demetrius may actually have been the one who who carried this letter because as we read this, it seems that John himself has some close connections with Demetrius because he says everyone gives him good testimony. He says the truth itself uh, gives a testimony to it. Demetrius is so clear in the way in which he lives the Christian faith that if you know what the truth is and you think about the truth, one of the things that comes into your mind when you're thinking about those people who live according to the truth, who live according to following the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the people that comes to your mind, if that's uh, you're in this context, is Demetrius. That's why he has a good reputation amongst everybody. He has a good testimony from everybody. It's the kind of fellow he is. And so uh, I think John himself has had some things because he goes on to tell us not only that other people were giving a good testimony to Demetrius, but he says, I'm giving a good testimony to Demetrius, and you know you can trust me. And so, so Demetrius is set apart here in a, in, a, in a very striking kind of way. And fundamentally, what uh, is so good about him is like, uh, in some ways, he's like Gaius because it is said that uh, he lives according to the truth. That's what, what he does. He testifies to that truth. Uh, and we see that uh, set out uh, for us in, uh, uh, in, in, this, in this passage. And so we've seen... The recipient of the letter, Gaius, we've seen the opposite of Gaius in some ways in Diotrephes. We've seen another good guy in Demetrius. But I do want to take a little bit to look at the apostle himself because I think he also uh, offers to us and provides for us a good model. I mentioned to you the last time that one of the things that we see in John is that he's unabashed in telling people of his affection for them. Look at the way he starts the letters. Look at the way in which he talks about them. He, he tells people, beloved. Now, now, we're Orthodox Presbyterians, and so if somebody comes up to you and says, I love you, brother, sticks out his hand, you know, we're liable to go like that. 
you know, we, we don't talk like that. Well, that's to our detriment. Uh, John is showing us here very clearly by his practice that Christians love one another, and not only do they love one another, but they use the expression of that love as a means of encouragement. That's, that's what John is trying to do. He's trying to encourage uh, Demetrius in his doing of the Christian faith, and how does he start off? He says, I love you, brother. Uh, I think it's a good example for us to pay attention to. And we also see that, that John not only expresses his love for him, but, but he also lets Demetrius know that he prays for him. And again, now we're Orthodox Presbyterians, and I sometimes fear uh, we spend more time worrying about somebody's theology than we do about praying for someone. Uh, that, that, that it's not our inclination. I mean, can I be assured that regularly, you brothers and sisters who love me in Christ are praying for me. You see, that's the model John sets for us. He says, I pray for you. I pray that things may go well with you, that your, your, your health may be as strong as your spiritual life. That's what John does. He sets a, a marvelous example for us in this. Uh, John also uh, rejoices in the progress of the truth. He's, he tells Gaius, I am so joyous to hear that you're walking in the truth. And that requires of Gaius both to embrace the truth and then to, to carry out the truth in the way in which he lives. And, and John is, is excited about this. John is delighted to find these things out. He's explicit about how much joy he got because of the manner in which Gaius lives. We also find that uh, there's nothing namby-pamby about John. I mean, he tells Diotrephes, he sends him a letter. I think Diotrephes destroyed the letter, probably wasn't a very complimentary one. I think that Diotrephes probably destroyed the letter. And John says, I'm coming, and when I come, I'm going to confront him, and I'm going to straighten him out. Uh, we read a lot about that in the Bible. <laughs> And when we read about that in the Bible, we always think, oh yes, that's a good thing to do. But if you're like I am, you probably have a yellow streak running down your back about a yard wide when it comes to confronting people who do something wrong. And yet the scriptures are full of that. Years ago, I used this illustration, maybe 30 years ago in this congregation, of how somebody taught me that. There was an elder, church I served, Wilfred. Wilfred called me up one day. I was a young pastor. I was making more mistakes and doing more stupid things as young pastors are wont to do, you know. I, I joked I was making a mistake a minute. And, and Wilfred invited me over to his house and he sat me down. I think I arrived there at one o'clock and I think I left there at four o'clock. And Wilfred rebuked me. He said, Alan, you're doing this wrong. You're not showing love to the people because you did this and you did that. And I had two choices when I got up and I left. I could have thought, that nasty old man. But I thought, Wilfred loved me. He loved me enough. And he loved Jesus enough that he did the hard thing. He didn't tell other people what I did wrong. 
He told me. And that's the pattern that John sets here. That's exactly what John says he's going to do. And that's what we're supposed to do as well as we deal with people. John also not only can do those hard things, but John also not only loves these people and he writes to them and tells them he loves them, but he says, I want to see you. He said, I got lots of other things I could write to you about. He ends this book in the same way in which he ends the previous one. He says, there are lots of other things, but I want to come and I want to talk to you about them. Yes, he wants to look Gaius in the face. And he said, keep it up, brother. Keep caring for those missionaries. Keep on walking in the truth. Bring this old man some real genuine joy. And he also wants to look Diotrephes eye to eye, face to face, and say, brother, you're sinning against the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, embrace that Jesus that you profess to follow. Find the joy in sins forgiven. That's what John is doing here. Now as we look at these people and they provide us, I think, with good models of good and evil, and what would it mean to fulfill the, uh, the, the, the commandment, the, the, the word that John gives, that we're to imitate those who do good and not those who do evil? Well, first, we need to be ready to support the work of missionaries. And we have to support the work of missionaries in a... In, in, a, in, a, in a way that, that, that we can not just say, yes, I paid my dues, I gave some money, but when we do that, we give ourselves and say, this is the way in which I can bring the gospel to Ukraine. This is the way in which I can bring the gospel to Mbali. You see... That's how we do it as fellow workers, and so we need to engage in that way. And when we engage in that, in that ministry of, of, of supporting missionaries, we have to do it in a manner that's worthy of God. That is not in a grudging, offhand kind of way, but with genuine seriousness. That, that these brothers and sisters of ours who are in these faraway places doing hard things, we genuinely want them to be be to God to bless them and we pray for them and we try to hold them up before the sovereign God in a manner that's worthy of that sovereign God. And when we, when we pray and we ask God to use them to bring the gospel to people who don't know that gospel, we have to do it both with, with anticipation and with our, our hearts filled with hope. And why can we do that? Because we have heard the gospel and the holy God, this God, has worked in our hearts so that we've embraced that gospel. He's made us his children. And so when we support missionaries, we need to support them in that serious way in which I'm talking about. We also need to avoid what I call the diatrophy syndrome of putting ourselves first, especially at the expense of Christian workers. Neither should we imitate his gossip or should we speak, as he did, wicked nonsense. I don't have time to explain that, but my suspicion is we've all been tempted and we've all hurt someone 
who is engaged in that kind of gossip and wicked nonsense. Now, fourthly, we should follow the Johannine model of encouraging others through words of encouragement and prayers for them. I need your prayers, brothers and sisters, and my suspicion is that you need mine. And not only do you need my prayers, you need me to encourage you one another, and I need you to encourage me. That's what we do in the church. That's what John did here. That was the pattern that he set for us. Uh, Fifthly, we should not be fearful of confronting those who gossip and upset the peace of the church. Yeah, I think I need a church with more Wilfords in it who will sit me down and talk to me. Sixthly, we should be ready to deal with one another over the good and the difficult in a face-to-face way. We come here, we get together, we talk, we gather over in that other room every Sunday morning, and do we encourage one another to good works in love, as the writer of Hebrews says? Or are we more interested in the eagles than are on another's Christian growth? We have to ask ourselves that question. And lastly, we need to walk in the truth. We need to embrace Jesus as the incarnate Son of God and live in accordance with that commitment to him. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins. You believe that truth and that Jesus says, love me. And the way in which you love me is to love one another and keep my commandments. The way to happiness, according to Waldinger and Schultz, is relationships. We got relationships, wonderful relationships. We can call each other brother and sister. We have a relationship that won't even be broken by death itself. John says, when I see my children walking in the truth, I'm happy. Do you understand why? I certainly hope so. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it confronts us. And we thank you for the way in which it encourages us. And we pray this day that you will help us to imitate the good and run away from the evil. And we can only do that as you work in us, sovereign God. Let us live in a manner worthy of you, O God, who have called us out of darkness into light. Hear us and help us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.